Brilliant to be with you tonight. Missed you all this morning. Heard you had a great time. Ian Raleigh was with us. Ian is a prophet, and before he preached in the first service, I got an MP3 recording of, of what he said. He, he felt deeply stirred that um, he feels God saying that we're about to explode in growth, and I believe that. We already are growing, Amen. but we're on the verge of something very exciting, which is exciting. I'm glad Billy and myself are excited about that. <laughs> but truly, we are at a very exciting point as a church. Watch history. It's going to be made uh, for his honor. And he deserves a lot of honor. He's a great God. God, we think the world of you tonight. We admire you with everything within us, God. And we live our lives for you, God. And Jesus, we can't tell you how much we appreciate what you did for us on that cross. Jesus, that you are willing to come to earth. Say the things you said. And you're willing to die on a cross for us. And we hadn't done anything for you. In fact, we had done lots of things against you. And we've lived in rebellion to you. We live living like you're not there. Some even argue a case that you aren't there. And we live in rebellion to you. Yet Jesus Christ, you came and died for a world who didn't even ask you to do it. And you died because you loved us. You died because a price needed to be paid for sinful humanity. And we know that that price is the only hope for our souls. And tonight, we say we're grateful to you. And we put our faith in you. And we thank you, you're risen from the dead and your presence is in this room and we just love being in your presence. We thank you, Lord, in your presence. Miracles happen. Life's changed. So we invite you to have your way tonight. We invite you, God, for every sick person in this room that they would experience the miracle-working power of God. For people who are facing insurmountable situations, God, that you bring answers. For people who are looking for hope, you bring your hope For people who need wisdom, wisdom would come. God, for people who don't yet know you, they'd find you tonight. So have your way. We invite you to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been going through the book of Proverbs on Sunday nights. The book of Proverbs is a phenomenal book in the Bible. It's one of those books that you can just kind of dip in and just get little tidbits that really just speak to you and uh, engage you. And it's the sort of thing you can just read a couple of verses and mull it over. Lots of richness in the book of Proverbs. Take time to get into it in your own time. We've been probably taking about five weeks now uh, to focus on the subject of what is wisdom all about. And we're going to continue in that theme tonight. What is wisdom all about from the book of Proverbs? I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're out and about, sometimes if you're in the countryside, uh, Roz, is Roz here tonight? Roz Green. Roz. Roz's son is here and daughter-in-law. Good to see you. Uh, Roz has put up, I don't know if you've seen the beautiful pictures and uh, photographs that are in the building. Have you seen them? They're just terrific. Beautiful little photographs. And uh, there's one above the receptionist. I can see it from here. You can't. But you have to think word for it. It's very nice. And it's, it's a beautiful close-up of water. And it looks like an abstract painting. It's stunning. And what I love is just close-ups of nature. You know, when you're, when you're out and about and you can just take a moment to, away from the hustle and bustle and just think and ponder and study things and look at things close up, Man, there's so much wisdom in it. And there's so much you can glean from just simply the things that God has made. It blows you away. I love that. I would encourage you to do the same. Take time aside from the hustle and bustle of life and just look. Just absorb for a moment. Think, what a privilege to be on this planet. Think about the great God who made all these things and took such delight in putting in such detail. He didn't have to. 
He didn't have to put colors and smells and tastes. That's matter is colorless and tasteless. Yet God added those just for fun. God is a great God. He's a creative God. He's an abundant God. Look at this great world and learn about him. Learn about the great God who took so much detail in that. How much more interest has he got in your life? And here in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to look at one particular passage that that gives us wisdom. It's a study of little things. Little things that God has made from which we can gain wisdom. Proverbs chapter 30 and verses 24 to 28. That's going to be our the verses that we're going to study around tonight. Four things are small on the earth, but are exceedingly wise. The ants are not strong strong people, but they prepare their foods in the summer. The rock badger are not mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rocks. Locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. The lizards you may grasp with the hands, yet it is in king's palaces. The Bible says there are four little animals that we can gain great wisdom from looking at. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at these four little animals. I tried to get a sample of each of them along tonight. Uh, Unfortunately, they were all otherwise engaged, being wise, doing lots of little productive things. The ants. The Bible says ants are not strong people, but they prepare their foods in the summer. Here's some facts about ants. Okay, they're little, right? We know that. But ants build colonies. Now, sometimes these colonies are so vast that they can take 12 grown men inside them. Huge. The roofs of these colonies are watertight. They've got numerous stories and galleries. What a coordinated bunch of little critters they are. They are so wise. And here are two specific lessons we can learn about wisdom from the ants. Firstly, learn the value of consistent hard work. I mean, some of you, that's just a revelation. Is there such a thing? Consistent hard work? It's possible. You can work hard consistently. It's unbelievable. All right, I'll write that down. I'll try and remember that. Proverbs 6 and verses 6 to 8 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. That's funny, right? Haha. Take a lesson from the ant, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and be wise. Even though they have no prince, governor, nor ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering the food for winter. Consistent, hard work brings success. You see, sometimes we work hard for a season and then, and do nothing for a season. And all the time we've generated all that momentum, we lose the momentum because we're not consistent. And what the ants do is they learn consistent, hard work. That's the first lesson. There's a book called Good to Great. And in that book, they surveyed 1,400 of the best top-performing companies in the world. Then they narrowed these top-performing companies down to 12. And they looked at the top 10 qualities in the CEOs of each of these companies. Can you guess what the top two qualities were? First quality was humility. Second quality was an ability to see the job through. An ability to see a job through. Dale Carnegie, who wrote some great stuff about how to win friends and influence people, he he said 
that most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. There's something very powerful about consistent, hard work. And the fact is that it's not always the most talented people who achieve great things. Sometimes it's not always the people with the most abilities or the most intellect who achieve great things. Sometimes it's just the people with the most determination who just keep going, who just don't quit, who just won't get refused to get discouraged. You and I have all got great friends, people we admire, people who just in the face of sometimes the biggest challenges, they've kept going. You can keep going and stay on track, then you're going to reach a destination. There's a story of the hare and the tortoise. And the story is very simple, but true. The hare, which has more talent in terms of covering ground quickly than the tortoise did, the fact is it lost the race. Why? Because it took its ability for granted. But the tortoise, by consistently moving, got to the destination ahead of the hare. Folks, you can achieve great things, but some of you are bankrupting your life. Some of you are quitting too soon. Some of you, you've got set out on a good course, and everything was in line for you to achieve incredible things, but you quit too soon. Quit quitting. Get on track and stay on track. Have a focus in your life. Be so determined that you ain't going to quit until you've accomplished the purpose for which God's got you on earth in the first place. Determination, consistency, focus. That's so essential. Little ants teach us that. They just keep going. They keep gathering, gathering leaves, gathering foods, gathering all the resources they need. They keep going. Consistent, hard work. There's a difference between a 100 meter sprint, folks, and a marathon. You may look very impressive by starting well, but it ain't the starting well that counts. It's the finishing well that counts. Consistent, hard work. Not quitting, not burning out, not burning brightly, then burning out, but staying the course. Tragically, I've known all too many people who have been, even in their faith, alive in their faith. A shining example of what it means to be a Christian. And you think, man, we've got all these high hopes for these people. But no sooner are they doing so well, it seems like, where have they gone? What happened to that great faith they had? They're now nowhere to be seen. That is absolute tragedy. Folks, it's, it's staying the course. It's fighting through the pain barriers. You see, life isn't always easy. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> Challenges come your way constantly. Now, the worst thing you can do is get off track. You think life's hard when you're on track? Think what it would be like if you quit. Life continues to be hard, but in your heart, you know you've compromised. That's the worst of the worst. You're emotionally low because you know you're not in the right place, and life continues to be hard. That's a bummer. At least life is bearable if you're on track, because you know with a clear conscience you're doing the right thing. You ain't jump ship. You're walking the walk. You're living on track. So just don't quit. Don't, first of all, don't quit in your faith. Man, God is never going to quit on you. Don't you go quitting on him. He ain't the one to blame. He's the one to run to, not run away from. So stay on track. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
And verse 7, he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, the Apostle Paul was an incredible individual. He was a man who started out his life totally anti-Christianity. He did everything he could to try and wipe out Christianity. And then, in a remarkable moment, on the way to a place called Damascus, Jesus met him on the roads. Jesus, who he was trying to, he was trying to destroy all the people who talked about Jesus. Now, Jesus meets him personally and reprimands him for his waywardness. And Paul realizes his error. He meets Jesus in this vision. He, he gives his life to Jesus. And he goes from being the most anti-Christian person to being one of the greatest propagators of the Christian faith that ever has been on planet Earth. And he starts going and going and going. I tell you, he faced challenge after challenge after challenge. He was stoned. I don't mean on drugs. He was stoned as in douche. In many places, he, he faced severe threats on so many occasions. Yet he kept going. Incredible. Uh, there's a bit when he was in, I think it was Lystra uh, or Iconium. I can't remember. One of them. Don't argue. One of them. He was there and he, he's telling everyone about Jesus. A remarkable miracle takes place. Everything goes badly wrong. They, they nut him and they carried him out of the city as if dead. Right? The disciples gather around him. I presume they pray for him. And he revives. My guess is he was raised from the dead. My guess is that when Paul talks about his great visions, that's when he had them. Right? It wasn't stars. <laughs> it, it, he saw heaven. And I believe that was the moment when he saw that. He got a glimpse of eternity. Anyway, that's a wee aside. We sides are nice, aren't they? So Paul revived, and what did he do? He went back into the city. What a nutter. Right, right, come back for more. I haven't finished my sermon, guys. Back in he goes. Fantastic. He just doesn't quit. One thing after another, he wouldn't quit. Why? Because he knew something about Jesus Christ. When you know something about Jesus Christ, it gives you backbone. Because my Jesus went to the cross for me. So what's too hard for him? (laughs) How can I hold back from him? Who am I to quit on him? He didn't quit on me. I mean, he knew what was coming, even though no one else knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. The anguish was such that his sweat became blood on his forehead. The internal anguish of what was about to happen. Before anyone had hit him, before any whip was hit his back, before any nail went through his wrist, he was sweating blood. Because he knew exactly what was coming, yet he went through with it. Why? Because he thinks the world of me, and he thinks the world of you. So don't you go saying God doesn't love you. Because you're ignoring the facts if you're saying that. God loves you so much. So much that he was willing to go through all that. So who are you to quit on him? So some consistent hard workers needing. Some backbone. Some no quitting ability needs to get into our lives so we see things through. It's easy to start well. Finishing well is the trick. I love Andrew's story. You've probably heard it before. I'll, I'll tell you again. He tells a story when he was a kid in the school playgrounds. And the janitor had a little Jack Russell. And uh, they would throw sticks and the Jack Russell would grab hold of the stick. And it was really funny. You could hold the stick in the air and the Jack Russell would grab the stick and he would hang on to the stick. So one day, Andrew and his friends, they got a branch of a tree. And they bent the branch of the tree down and wiggled wiggled the end of the branch in front of this Jack Russell. This little Jack Russell, this no-quitting little Jack Russell, saw, all right, big challenge. It came, and it took it on. 
Yes. It came and grabbed the tree. And then you know what? They let go of the tree. <laughs> but it didn't quit. <laughs> didn't quit. I bet you, you go back to that playground, there'll be a little skeleton. A fossilized Jack Russell. The tree didn't win. We've got to have a bit of backbone in us that we say, you know what? Ants just don't quit. They're just consistently leaf, raisin, bit of sandwich, right? They just keep going. They just don't quit. We can't quit. Let's get wise like the ants. Second lesson we can learn from ants is this. They make the most of seasons in life. You see, the Bible says that they they gather the stuff in the summer so that they benefit in the winter. I suspect we often miss the best opportunities in life and we live to regret it afterwards. And wisdom says we've got to make the most of our seasons in life. I want to read you a verse, especially if, if you consider yourself in your youth, which is, I realize there's no line where you'd say you're old, you're young. So it's all to do with what's going on in here. All right, Billy, you're young. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Okay, that's called a season in your life, youth. People who are older in here would agree with me in this point. When you're young, maximize your days. Remember God in your youth. Don't think, when I'm older, then I'll start following God. Don't think, when I'm older, then I'll start getting serious about my call of God. You'll have missed the boat. Wake up, go now. You've got energy. You've got potential. You've got years ahead, God willing. You've got so much to offer in your youth. Don't waste this season. Don't waste this season. Live max now. Don't think, ah, this tomorrow. People who think that achieve nothing. People who think today, maximize the moment, live for God. Not in some stressed out kind of uptight way, but in a real, genuine reality check way that is actually in these seasons of my life, in the here and now, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to maximize potential. I'm going to maximize my energies. I'm going to do what I can while I can. And you do that, you will not live a life of regret. You will live a life of fulfillment, a life of reward. Now's the time. You see, God called me to start a church when I was 22. So I started Destiny Church Edinburgh when I was 22. The challenge I had mentally was this. I'm too young to start a church. That was a challenge because most of the people in the church were older than me. That was a mental challenge, but it wasn't going to hold me back from fulfilling what I felt God was telling me to do. It wasn't an arrogance that I did that. It was simply out of zeal. God, I believe. I can't wait till I'm older. I've got to get moving now. I didn't want to wait for years and years before I got moving with the passion I had to reach people for Jesus. Why do you want to put off till tomorrow what you know God is calling you to now? Move in your purpose, in the now. Make the most of your seasons in life. Maximize your potential. And you will not live a life of regret. The reason so many people are grumpy when they're older is because they are entering into harvest time in their lives. Just a thought. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 19 to 20, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesus goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you living for? If you live for eternal things, I tell you, you will reap an eternal harvest. Your life will have echoes into eternity. 
what you'll do now has a repercussion then. Fact. I don't want you to get to then and think, if only I had. The ant was wise enough in the summer to do stuff that would benefit it in the winter. So in your summers, live great lives. You will not regret it. And long term, you'll be grateful you did. So let's be wise, like the ant. Second little animal we find is the cute rock badger. It says that the rock badger are not mighty people, yet they make their houses in rocks. Okay, let me tell you some facts and figures about the rock badger. The rock badger is also called the coney. It's externally the size of a rabbit and similar in form to a rabbit. It's of brownish color. It is, however, much clumsier in its structure than a rabbit and it doesn't have a tail. Interesting. Having long bristles of hair scattered through its fur. They are timid little creatures and they can't dig. And they live in clefts in the rock away from birds of prey. To be honest, a bit of a rubbish animal, really. (laughs) Bit of a rubbish animal. But there is wisdom we can learn from this animal. Here's the lesson we can learn from this animal. Know your weakness and your limitations. Know your weaknesses and your limitations. And then, shelter your life. You see, folks, strength isn't lack of weakness. Everyone's got weakness. I'll tell you what real weakness is, though. Real weakness is when you've got weakness, but you're doing nothing about it, and you're living a life that's exposed. That's real weakness. Strength isn't the absence of weakness. Otherwise, there would be no strong people. Everyone's got weakness. But if you're someone who's foolish enough in your weakness not to run for cover, not to place your life in a safe place, not to avoid places where you'll be vulnerable, then you are foolish. Be wise and live a life that protects you and yourself in the areas where you're weak. One of the wisest people in the Bible is Joseph. He found himself in many different predicaments in life. One of them was he was a servant in the house of a man called Potiphar in Egypt. Okay, You know, Joseph in the technical dream coat. He found himself in a, in a house called, uh, of a man called Potiphar. And where he was in this house, Potiphar's wife was a chick. She was a babe. This lady, she was also a little bit desperate. And she needed Mark Driscoll's MP3 from the second service. And she could have spiced up her life with Potiphar. However, she didn't have MP3s in those days or iPods. So as a result, she was desperate and found herself in a predicament where, you know, she was looking for something on the side. Now, here was Joseph. He was a young man, very handsome, like someone else you may know. (laughs) We'll just think about that. Some of you are saying, who? Who? They'll tell you after. So Potiphar's wife took a fancy to Joseph, who was a young man, very handsome, and like no one else was in the house. It was just Joseph going around the household business, making sure the place was looked after, making sure everything was in order, uh, cleaning, keeping the place tidy, making sure things were running well. Potiphar's wife was at a loose end, which is always a bad place to be, and she took a fancy to Joseph, and when no one else was looking, she tries to seduce him. And you know what? Here's Joseph. You can imagine Joseph. 
young man in a foreign land. He had no one to hold him accountable. He was a slave in a foreign land. He had nothing to lose, to be honest. Apart from everything. He'd been sold by his own family into slavery. You can imagine the bitterness he was carrying. You can imagine he could have well been at an all-time low. That's weakness, men. That's weakness when you're low, when you're tired. He was. He was in a bad place. And now he was in a situation where no one else was around in a house with a beautiful woman. And she tried to seduce him. Now you could super spiritualize that and say, well, he was pure. He was like Owen. He just wasn't a temptation for him. Or, you know, you could maybe figure out that actually maybe he was a red-blooded male. And in that moment, his flesh was crying out, all right, let's go for it. But in his heart of hearts, he knew that before God that was wrong. It wasn't just wrong against the husband, Potiphar. It was wrong in the sight of God. And you know what he did? He ran. He just bolted. He didn't even enter into discussion. It's like, <laughs> he just was out of there. And I promise you, if he'd been there five minutes and said, let's just talk about this. Bad move. Bad move. He just ran. And his flesh would have been saying, why are you running? And his heart saying, don't discuss this. Just get out of here. He just needed to get out of that situation. There's a wise man. It wasn't because he wasn't weak. It wasn't because he wasn't a male. It wasn't because he wasn't a real man with real feelings. It's because he had a wisdom about him. He just ran. And sometimes uh, we've been putting ourselves in situations where whether you're male or female, you've been in situations where you've been exposing your weakness and your vulnerability. But that's dangerous. Sometimes you just got to run. Run to a safe place. Don't stand and try and fight. I'm strong enough. You're not. Run to a safe place. That's strength. It absolutely breaks my heart to see some people who have who have not protected their weakness and who have made mistakes. But instead of picking themselves up after that mistake, they just figured, well, I'll just live in this mistake. That's the craziest thing. Even if you've made a mistake, get yourself out it quick and run quickly to a safe place. Sure, you've got a bit of muck on you, but dust it off. Don't get worse. You'd only live to regret it. And the fact is, eventually you're going to come around to reality but you'll just have more baggage then. So why not just wake up now? Get yourself out of your mess. Get back on track now. Failure isn't falling down, it's staying down. So pick yourself up. Get back to this place of safety. Run. Run to God. Run to people you can trust. But don't stay in your situation. This little rock badger had wisdom. This little rock badger may have said, I may be a fat, stumpy, tailless little rodent that can't dig. I'm not going to hang around and let some eagle eat me. I'm going to run to a cleft in the rock. Clever little stumpy rodent. That's wisdom. Human beings are fundamentally weak. Run to God. Here's our greatest weakness, human beings. Sin. Sin is our greatest weakness. It's fundamental to every human being. Whoever has been born. Other than to Adam. When originally created before sin and one other person Jesus Christ every other human being has been inflicted by inheriting from our parents sin and we have chosen also to sin this is the weakness in the human nature this is the problem this is the issue 
And yet the good news is Jesus died for our sin on the cross. So I encourage you sinners and me sinner to run to Jesus. He is our rock. Run in wisdom to the Lord who can protect us from ourselves. Run to the Lord who can protect us from the fallenness of our humanity, which if left unchecked would take us downhill big style and ruin our lives. So run to God. Expose your life to him. Hide yourself in your weakness to him and he will protect you. He will shield you and he will guard you for life. David in Psalm 61 verse 2 says, I call to the Lord. I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He describes God as a rock that is big. David in his weakness says, when my heart is faint, God, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Run to God in your weakness, folks. Not run away from God's, run to God's. And you know what? Maybe sometimes you need to run to people as well, to God's people. Maybe you're in a place where you keep asking God's forgiveness for an area in your life, but you're still finding it hard to overcome. Well, listen, failure isn't acknowledging that to someone. You see, going for counseling isn't weakness. You're the strong one. The crazy one is the person who battles on through without acknowledging they need help. I know there's a stigma attached to getting counseling. I know there's a stigma attached to going for help. But better that than you live with your weakness until eventually the weakness gets the better of you. Then everyone will find out about it anyway. So how about just dealing with it in a safe way? Run to the rock now. Get to your place in a place of safety. Guard yourself in the area of your weakness. Get quality. You know, if you need help in this church, come to the pastoral team. Come to, go to your cell group leaders. That's why it's so important. Get, don't just come on a Sunday. Get involved in a cell group if you can. And in a cell group, go to your cell leader. And, and they're trustworthy people who we respect and we are holding accountable. And they're good people. And they can provide a level of accountability for you. If you need further support or more expertise... Then we've got a staff on a senior level of leadership that can back, back up the cell leaders as they do. Please don't struggle alone though. If you're facing issues and you need to overcome, there's nothing worse than isolation. And Satan will tell you in your ear, if you tell someone about that, you will be forever rejected. That's the lie. And I want to tell you, it is a lie. Nothing shocks me these days, folks. I've heard everything. I've heard everything. Nothing shocks me. And I want to tell you, I haven't rejected anyone. And I want to tell you someone else who hasn't. God. God's a merciful, gracious God. It doesn't make excuse for the nonsense that goes on in people's lives. But he's a merciful enough God to accept people and help them change. And that's the attitude of our leaders here. So please, if you need help, run. Run to help. That's, that's strength. That's good. That's wisdom. Okay, thirdly, the locust. The locusts have no king. Yet all of them go out in ranks. Interestingly, according to the BBC, uh, in an article they wrote about locusts, locusts are typically shy, solitary creatures. But every so often, a little switch flicks in the inside of them, and they start to swarm. And when they swarm, they are a formidable force. It's almost instinct. It's estimated that some of the largest swarms can cover as much as hundreds of square miles at one time in a swarm. That's huge. Consisting of multiple millions of locusts. Swarms can travel a vast distance in a day. Sometimes as much as 130 kilometers in one day. Now that's coordination. That's teamwork. 
That's impressive. That's wisdom. So what's the lesson we can learn from locusts? The lesson is we've got to be understand that actually teamwork is vital and essential. Andrew Carnegie, who was one of the great industrialists who, who gave multiple millions to charity in his generation. I think he became the largest steel manufacturer, Scottish-born, but became wealthy in America. Uh, he said this, it marks a big step in your development when you come to realize that other people can help you do a better job than you can do alone. There's wisdom. That actually, teamwork is very, very important. Isolation isn't always good. And to be honest, I'm a loner. That's, that's my temperament, probably. I like just getting on with things. But the fact is, there's no wisdom in that. And while I enjoy my times alone with God and my times reading the Bible, I realize that to accomplish anything meaningful in life, I've got to surround myself with people. And so do you. That's sometimes the hardest moments, because you know what people are like. But it's also the wisest moments, and it's the moments of greatest learning, personally, and for them. It's also moments of greatest accomplishment, because as a team, you can multiply your effectiveness. So plug yourself into teams. Be a team player. Here's an interesting passage in Genesis chapter 11. And this is describing teamwork in a secular sense. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the bricks instead of, brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. Uh, with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. Why did they do it? They did it so they could make a name for themselves and so that they would not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's God's reading of the situation. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so they do not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over the whole face of the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because the Lord confused their languages, the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Interesting, God's comment on these people who weren't, who weren't religious people, who weren't doing anything because God had inspired them, they were just teaming up to do something together. God's comment about that team effort was this. If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Interesting. God's comment about secular unity was that it's powerful. That nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. If that's how powerful unity is with God absent from the equation, how much more powerful is unity and teamwork when God is very much the inspirer of that teamwork? How much more powerful is unity and teamwork when God is the one who has initiated the project? That's powerful. That's powerful. And the exciting thing is, folks, we're not just doing a church. We're working with God and his project. And these people, their agenda was this. Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and that we may not be scattered across the face of the earth. 
Their agenda was they wanted to make a name for themselves and so they wouldn't be scattered. Totally contrary to God's agenda. God's plan is that we build a church that will make him famous. Make a name for God. Make him the talk of the town. And not only just so that we can consolidate, but rather that we can bless the ends of the earth. So that we can be a resourcer to the ends of the earth. So we can send out missionaries to the ends of the earth. So we can literally in years to come send millions of pounds to aid organizations that will feed the needy and resource missionaries to the ends of the earth. That's a thought. That's a good idea. That's a possibility. And I believe it's a God idea. So as a team, if we operate in unity, I believe that nothing will be impossible for us. If as a team, we set our mind to achieving the same goal together, mucking in together, praying together, giving together, serving together, shoulder to shoulder, under God's oversight, then nothing will be impossible for us. So many of us live small life so consumed with our own agenda. Listen, God has put you in Edinburgh for such a time as this. The Bible makes it clear that he has chosen for you the times and places of your habitation. You're here by no accident. If God has planted you in this house, then you're not just here to attend. You're a team player. God has a great purpose for us as a church. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Totally convinced of it. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. I wouldn't be giving my life for something that I didn't believe in this much. God has a great purpose and agenda for our church. You're not just an attender here. You're a team player. God has put you here for a purpose. He has specifically got something that he wants you to do as part of this team. And together, and that's the key word, we can accomplish great things. So I want to encourage you, don't see yourself as an attender at Destiny Church. See yourself as, I'm part of the team. I'm part of what's making it happen. Your prayers count. Please pray every day for this church and the leadership within this church. Pray Man, like your life depended on it. Pray desperately. Pray with great passion that God's presence will heal people on Sundays. Pray with great passion that God will provide for us financially to take this next step. Pray with great passion that God will enable us to grow and reach our city. Oh, pray with great passion. And give. And I know many of you have been giving sacrificially to make this building funds happen. I'm convinced by God's grace we're going to achieve this. There's a long way to go, but we're a long way gone. We've achieved a lot already, but there's still a long way to go. But it's going to take everything within us to make this happen. And what, what will happen in buying this building will not just be that we've raised some money, but it will be an expression of our lives that we have done something together that's going to glorify God for the generations to come. Isn't that a great thought? Bingo. <laughs> That together we can accomplish something from which thousands are blessed? There's a great thought. And you know what? You're not just ones reading about that. You're ones doing it. You're in the book. It's happening. It's exciting. So I want to encourage you, if you've been on the fringes of the church, great. It's great to have you on the fringes of the church. But how about just taking a step a bit further in? Why not get along to a cell group? Or if you visit the cell group, get back. Get yourself connected. Get into meaningful relationships in the church. And that takes effort. Of course it does. And it might not be that that, that effort's always extended towards you, but you extend the effort towards them. You make the connection. 
Be proactive. Get yourself connected in cell groups. Become accountable. Become part of the team. Why not get serving in the church? Why not get serving in the media desk, in the kids' church? Why not initiate a new team? We want to do lots of things around the city. Why not initiate something? Why not get involved in an existing team? If you haven't already given your pledge to the building fund, why not give a pledge? Why not give some thousands of pounds? Why not give hundreds of pounds? Some of you, why not give hundreds of thousands of pounds? Say hi to me at the end if that's you. (laughs) Seriously, team effort, team effort. Together we can accomplish great things. I'm so thrilled. I mean, last week we had Mark Driscoll. When he was 31, that's how old I am. When he was 31, they bought their first 1,000-seater in Seattle. That's exciting. Now, last month, they grew by 1,000 people. They grew from 6,000 to 7,000 people. And he was here last week endorsing what we're doing and saying, you know what, I'm very excited because I believe it's going to go exactly the same way. Isn't that great? And this morning, there was Ian Raleigh, who's a prophet, prophesying that we're about to see an explosion of growth. I believe it. If you haven't realized what's going on, wake up, become part of the team, and start to make it happen. And be a united team. Don't gossip about other people in this congregation. If you do, slap yourself with passion. (laughs) And if you can't bring yourself to do it because your brain sometimes stops your hand, then go to someone who doesn't like you and get them to hit you. (laughs) Don't tell them why. You know why. Just stop it. Gossiping is rubbish. Cut it out. Now, you may have valid reason to talk about that person, but it's far better to go and talk to that person. And if you don't have the courage to talk to the person, then swallow hard, just forgive them, and get on with your life. Get a grip. Seriously, gossip's nonsense. Cut it out. I don't think it goes on much, but if it does, cut it out. It's not acceptable. Live united. Love each other enough to talk honestly with each other. Develop decent relationships in the congregation. Don't just chat to your buddies. Bridge the gap to the new people. Get to know people who you haven't met before. Don't be in the fringes. Get connected. Don't just be here, be fully here. Be fully engaged. And you know what? You will fully be blessed knowing that you are part of the miracle that is taking place in our midst. It's exciting. Never been a better time to be alive. So make God's agenda your agenda. Fourthly, there's the lizards. And it says that the lizards you may grasp with the hands yet it is in king's palaces. What's clear from this lizard is that man may be able to stop the lizard and grasp it, but nevertheless, the lizard makes its way into a palace. And man can stop you in certain ways in life. There are certain blockages that can be put in place by man. But there's one place you can always go that no human being can stop you. It's into the presence of God, available for all, at a very high price. And that's good news. There are many people who man has tried to stop. There was one man in the Second World War called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian, and he vehemently opposed Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler tried to stop him, and he imprisoned him, and he persecuted him severely. But Bonhoeffer could still get into the palace. In his cell, he could connect with heaven. It's awesome. You can't stop us. We have access to heaven. You see, you know what happened when Jesus died on that cross? There used to be a barrier between us and God. And sin was that barrier. 
it stops human beings getting into the presence of God. And in the Jewish religion, which God set up, every year had a day called the Day of Atonement, where once a year a priest, the high priest, on behalf of the whole nation of Israel, would take an animal, would sacrifice the animal for himself first, so that the blood shed would cleanse his sin, and then he would go into, they would call it the Holy of Holies. In the Jewish temple, that was the part, there was a curtain, you would go through the curtain, and in, behind that curtain, there was the Ark of the Covenant. That represented God's laws, which humankind had broken. It represented the very presence of God himself. And once a year, the high priest, on behalf of all the people, would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice, shed blood, on behalf of all the people. You see, they needed someone to go in on their behalf to pay the price for the people. The people themselves couldn't have access to that holy presence of God. Only the priest once a year could. And traditionally, the, the high priest, whoever that was that year, would have a cord tied around their ankle and have a bell. And it's a bit sinister, this. Because as they went in, if the bell stopped ringing, they figured the guys died because God, God was having a bad day. And they would pull the guy out by the cord. <laughs> and then, okay, you're next. And send the next guy in. I suspect it happens. Because we, we're dealing with a loving God, but also a God who detests sin. And uh, God's mad at you, but he's also mad about you. He hates your sin. Man, he hates sin with a vehemence. You want to know how much God hates sin? Look at the, the wrath that he poured out on his son Jesus when he died on that cross. He did that because Jesus was paying the price for our sin. That's how much God hates sin. And if you're holding on to your sin, God's got a big problem with you. Big problem with you. And he'll take his wrath out on you. So you better get on the right side of God. And that's the price that had to be paid for sin. But the good news was when Jesus died on that cross and God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of on you and me, something happened. Historically, the veil of the temple was torn in two. That big curtain that separated the Job Bloggs Jewish public from the very holy presence of God. The Bible says the veil in the temple was torn in two. And it says it was torn in two from top the bottom. This was God's doing. And what happened in that moment when Jesus paid the sacrifice, Jesus paid the sacrifice for all humanity. No more sacrifices ever need to be made. Once and for all, that veil that separated us from the presence of God has been torn in two. So you can get into the presence of heaven. You can get into the throne room of God whenever you need to. You can live in the presence of God. The lizards, it can get captured by a human being, but it can get its way into palaces. You see, man can stop you doing certain things, but no one can stop you getting into the presence of God because that way has been made possible for all eternity. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God is the only one you need to fear. Mankind can't stop you. You have access to palace. You have access to the presence of God. In Hebrews 4 and verse 16 it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us 
in time of need. I hope you make the most of the access rights you have. High price was paid for you to have access. Very high price was made for you to have access to heaven. Please make regular use of that access. Don't just go occasionally. Show that you're grateful by going regularly. Live in that presence of God. Make the most of the access you have. You can come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. To be honest, I live in a time of need. I live in a time of need. When you've got big dreams and visions and you're living for God's purpose, not your own, you're always in a place of need. That's a good place to be. Live humbly. Live constantly before God. You might feel nothing. But who cares? The truth is the truth. You have access to the palace of heaven. You have access to the presence of God. Make the most of that access. Live in that presence. Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again so that you can have access to the very presence, the very throne room of heaven. Live in that presence of God. Make many requests in that presence of God. Make big requests in the presence of a great God who loves you, who's paid a price for you, and who has got such a great plan for your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for wisdom from simple little animals. And God, we're grateful to you for just through little illustrations from the Bible. It gives us glimpses, God, of of truths that can practically help our lives. God, we acknowledge you created everything from the smallest to the greatest. You create everything in all creation. And in creation, God, we see your wisdom and it makes us say you're glorious and we worship you. So God, we, we want to thank you most of all that we have access to the palace. We have access to God. We can come into your presence. We can live in your presence. We can make requests before the very throne of God. And God, you know, these days as a church, we're asking big asks. But we thank you, God, you're a very big God. And in the name of Jesus, our prayers are answered. We're very grateful to you for that. And Jesus, we thank you that you did pay the price for our sins. You paid the price for this access that we now have freely. Thank you. Stand in the presence of God just now. Let's just, in in this moment while the musicians play, just pray back your own response to God. We're in the presence of the King. If there's something that we've shared tonight, something from the Bible that we've looked at that you feel has specifically spoken to yourself, then talk to God about it just now. Maybe you're here. Everyone else is praying just now, but maybe you're here and you're saying, Peter, I need to get into the presence of God. I haven't known God before. Or maybe I did know God and I've wandered away from him. But either way, I'm not in a good place with God. I need him. I need his forgiveness. And if that's you, good news. In this moment, you can pray a prayer and you can connect with God forever. 
So if that's you tonight and you're saying, Peter, I want to put my trust in God. I want to ask him for his forgiveness for all my sins. I want to have a new start. And today I want to choose to follow him, not live my own way, but live his way. If that's you, then that would be a wonderful decision to make. And I, I'd, I'd love the honor to help you make that decision just now. And this is what I'm going to do. While everyone else is praying, if that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want to live my life for God, then I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Not out loud. Repeat it quietly. Just repeat it from, from your own heart, under your own breath. This is your prayer to God. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you, God. You're a God of love. You're a God who has a plan for my life. God, I want to thank you for doing an incredible thing by sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross and died for me. You took the punishment for sin that I deserved. And in that act made it possible for me to come into the presence of God forever. And right now I want to make the most of that opportunity. And I ask you God desperately forgiveness for all my sins. I'm a wretched sinner and I ask you to forgive me God. I've blown it so often. Please, God, forgive me. Thank you. Jesus, I'm convinced you're risen from the dead. And right now, I I submit my life to you. I make you the Lord of my life. And I choose today that to the best of my ability from this day forward that I'm going to live for you I'm going to put you first from now on until one day I meet you face to face thanks God for hearing my prayer thanks for accepting me tonight While everyone's eyes are closed, can I just ask you to do a very simple thing? I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you or draw attention to you. But just while everyone else's eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer and you know in your heart of hearts you meant it, and that was you making a commitment to God, then I would love the privilege of just asking God's blessing on you and praying for you. Can I ask you to do a very simple thing? While everyone else's eyes are closed, just indicate to me you prayed that by raising your hands. Anyone like that this evening? Thanks. Thanks. Anyone else? Just put your hand up so I can see you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Let me know you prayed the prayer. Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hand up so I can see you.